Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including discussion with Mark Schulman. He is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We talk about the differences between good and bad economics and Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and now author of several murder mysteries, will visit with Jim as well. It is November the 28th, and on this day in 1520, after sailing through the dangerous straits below South America that could now bear his name, Portuguese navigator Ferdinand Magellan entered the Pacific Ocean with three ships, becoming the first European explorer to reach the Pacific from the Atlantic. On September the 20th, 1519, Magellan set sail from Spain in an effort to find a western sea route to the rich spice islands of Indonesia. In command of five ships and 270 men, Magellan sailed to West Africa and then to Brazil, where he searched the South American coast for a strait that would take him to the Pacific. He searched the Rio de la Plata, a large estuary south of Brazil, for a way through. Failing, he continued south along the uh, coast of Patagonia, at the end of March 1520, the expedition set up winter quarters at Port St. Julian. On Easter Day, at midnight, the Spanish captains mutinied against their Portuguese captain, but Magellan crushed the revolt, executing one of the captains and leaving another ashore when his ship left St. Julian in August. On October 21st, he finally discovered the strait he'd been seeking. The Strait of Magellan, as it became known, is located near the tip of South America, separating Tierra de Fuego and the continental mainland. Only three ships entered the passage. One had been wrecked and another deserted. It took 38 days to navigate the treacherous strait, and when the ocean was sighted at the other end, Magellan wept with joy. His fleet accomplished the westward crossing of the ocean in 99 days, crossing water so strangely calm that the ocean was named Pacific, after the Latin word pacificus, meaning tranquil. By the end, the men were out of food and chewed leather parts of their gear to keep themselves alive. On March the 6th, 1521, the expedition landed at the island of Guam. Ten days later, they uh, dropped anchor at the Philippine island of Cebu. They were only about 400 miles from the Spice Islands. Magellan went with uh, Chief Cebu, who, after converting to Christianity, persuaded the Europeans to assist him in conquering a rival tribe on a neighboring island of Mactan. In fighting on April 27th, Magellan was hit by a poisoned arrow and left to die by his retreating comrades. After Magellan's death, the survivors and two ships sailed on to Maracas, Malucas, I should say, and loaded the hulls with spice. One ship attempted unsuccessfully to return ac across the Pacific. The other ship, the Vittoria, continued west until the command of Basque navigator Juan Sebastian del Cano. The vessel sailed across the Indian Ocean, rounded the Cape of Good Hope, and arrived at Spanish Porto on September the 6th, 1522, becoming the first ship to circumnavigate the globe. Yeah, that's not many years ago, is it? It's uh, 502, 20, uh, 502 years ago. <clears throat> Amazing. Uh, many cities in Florida are ranked high on the list of uh, best places to retire in the United States. The U.S. News & World Report uh, places uh, rankings are based on the analytics of public data and user opinions. To top the list, the place must earn high scores and criteria such as desirability and quality of life. Seven Florida cities were listed in the first 15 on the list of the top 150 cities to retire. Naples ranked number six on the list with an overall score of 7.2. Daytona Beach at number seven, an overall score of 7.1. But uh, Naples ranked uh, on the overall list number six. Metro areas in the rankings are evaluated using data from sources, including the U.S.'s Census Bureau, the FBI, the U.S. Department of Labor, and U.S. News' own internal sources. I imagine where you were, well, I remember us being ranked number one, and uh, I suspect that that probably uh, 
changed. We dropped in the ranking because of the cost of real estate escalating so much here on the Paradise Coast. While Republicans took out the U.S. House of Representatives in the uh, recent midterm elections, Democrats are scrambling to pass big spending, progressive bills before they lose control over the legislative branch. Come January, the GOP will secure the gravel in the House, while Democrats will retain a majority in the Senate. Before their power is diminished, Democrats are rushing to add the debt limit, get more funding for the war in Ukraine, and codify same-sex and international marriage, despite neither being illegal, says the uh, Guardian. We're both trying to uh, have a productive, uh, a lame-duck session as possible, said Senate Majority Chuck Schumer. He said in a press conference, it's going to be heavy work, long hours to try and get that much done. Yeah, I can just see Chuck working away. On November the 13th, uh, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said she wants to see Congress approve a debt ceiling increase in the upcoming lame duck session, which uh, is the session after new representatives are elected, but before they take office. We want to see the debt ceiling get done. If it got done in the lame duck, that would be great as far as I'm concerned, said Yellen. The economic scenario is cataclysmic. The downturn would be comparable to the suffered uh, that suffered during the financial crisis of 2008, said in a, uh, a report by Moody's Analytics, which predicted failure to raise the debt ceiling could wipe out $15 trillion in wealth and cost as much as 6 million jobs. Well, I don't think that's the case. If they waited a couple of weeks and, until uh, the uh, GOP took over, I don't think it would cost any jobs. Schumer last week said that he wants to get a debt ceiling done in the work period, but acknowledged that it would be virtually impossible without bipartisan support. On the same day, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell told reporters that he didn't think Congress would work on the debt ceiling until sometime next year. Currently, the statutory debt limit is $31.4 trillion, an amount that may, may be too little if the legislature wants to keep borrowing money next year according to projections by the Bipartisan Policy Center. In uh, separate interviews last month, Representatives uh, Kevin McCarthy, Jim Banks, Adrian Smith, and Jason T. Smith all said they plan to use the raising of the debt ceiling as a bargaining chip to demand various changes to federal law. Also on the docket for the lame duck session is approving more funding for Ukraine, which has already received $54.43 billion in non-military aid from the U.S., according to the Institute for World Economy. By the way, they can't account for $20 billion of it. Just can't account for it. It's about time we paid attention to that. While multiple congressional uh, Republicans call for a forensic audit of aid sent to Ukraine to help them fight back in, against Russia, Joe Biden's White House has asked Congress to approve another $37 billion uh, of aid to Ukraine. Fears of Republicans using this newfound power in the House next year could motivate Democrats to try and pass another package for Ukraine in the lame duck session. Uh, Representative McCarthy, who could be the next Speaker of the House, although he's struggling with that uh, task right now, has already signaled that Republicans would use their majority to restrict additional spending on the war, which is a good thing. Also in the chamber is a Respect for Marriage Act, a bill to codify Gay and interracial marriages, neither of which are illegal as, as in part of the U.S. Passing the Respect for Marriage Act is no longer a matter of uh, if but when, Schumer said earlier in the month. The Senate is expected to take a final vote on the matter in the chamber when they return in the th from the Thanksgiving recess. So there you have it, a lot of extraneous stuff going on in the lame duck session. Let's just hold off on all this nonsense until after the first of the year. <clears throat> The Biden administration Saturday eased some oil sanctions on Venezuela in an effort to support newly restarted negotiations between President Nicolas Maduro's government and its opposition. The Treasury Department is allowing Chevron to resume limited energy production in Venezuela after years of sanctions that have dramatically curtailed oil and gas profits that have flowed to Maduro's government. Earlier this year, the Treasury Department again allowed the California-based Chevron and other U.S. companies to perform upkeep of wells it operates jointly with a state-run oil giant in Venezuela. Under the new policy, profits from the sale of energy would be directed to pay down debt owed to Chevron rather than providing profits to the uh, Venezuelan oil company. 
So we can't get a new pipeline built or a new dr uh, drilling permit issued in the United States. We're going to let Venezuela open the taps and begin cashing in on its uh, reserves of black gold. That's just great. One uh, question might be asked is how are we apparently doing business with Nicolas Maduro when we don't even recognize him as a legitimate president of Venezuela? What happened to uh, Juan Guaido? He's supposed to be the president that most of the world recognizes. Oh, that's right. He spent about half of his time in jail. This is the same Maduro regime that holding a half dozen Americans hostages in prison cells on house arrest for years, only until only recently. But now that Joe Biden finds himself in some political trouble, I suppose all is forgiven and it's back to business as usual because of oil and is involved. This seems remarkably similar to the way that we suddenly became good buddies with the pariah crown prince of uh, Saudi Arabia, despite all of the unpleasantness surrounding the assassination of Khashoggi, doesn't it? He's also, uh, here's another point to consider, since he's, it uh, has international implications, Russia now owns most of Venezuela's oil resources. By giving the green light to Venezuelan oil production, we're flushing more money to Vladimir Putin's coffers. Weren't we supposed to be engaging in economic warfare with Russia and punish them for the invasion of Ukraine? Well, I suppose that's for another one of those only when it's convenient things. It's just too late to worry about all that right now. However, the Treasury Department has already authorized Chevron to increase drilling in Venezuela. Uh, Chevron Corporation has won U.S. approval to resume and expand its oil operations in Venezuela, and the U.S. government announced it on Saturday. This is just incredible. Why don't we just go ahead and open up the spigot right here in the United States instead of letting Venezuela uh, open their uh, spigot uh, to supply uh, energy reserves. <clears throat> Makes no sense. And by the way, consumers spent a record $9.12 billion online shopping during Black Friday this year, according to Adobe. Overall online sales for Black Friday were up 2.3% year over year. Buy now and pay later payments increased by 78% compared with last week, beginning November the 19th as consumers continue to grapple with high prices and inflation. In spite of this, the Consumer Sentiment Index for November was revised down uh, from initial projections of 54.7%. The results were better than most economists expected with their upward revision, but still below October's reading of 59.9, despite the improved numbers. So uh, Christmas spending up, consumer sentiment down. I can't make sense of it. Can you? Makes no sense to me. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Thank you. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called historycentral.com. Good for kids of all ages, including you and I, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Let's talk about what's happening around the globe. And uh, it's uh, the amazing amount of violence and demonstrations going on in China. Right. I mean, what's going on around the world is protests. I mean, more than anything else in places, we would never have expected it. Yeah. No one expected a China that... uh, Close to a revolt going on. I mean, a revolt may be too strong a word, but large-scale protests all over China. It started as a, as protests against the additional COVID-19 lockdowns and the zero-COVID policy that the Chinese have been been trying to accomplish and are failing at at this point. Um, and that has spread now to demands for democracy, demands for freedom of the press, all those pillars of democracy. And um, you know, those people are very brave because the Chinese know who everybody is at any given moment, much more so than the Iranians, for instance. Yeah. And um, but they're doing it anyway, and it's you know it's across the board. It's taking place in Shanghai. It's taking place in in, in Beijing. It's taking place in in some of the uh, surrounding cities, and it's it's really taking place across the country. And they've tried to cut off the internet. They've done all sorts of things to to limit it. Um, it seems one of the factors besides everything else, believe it or not, is the fact that Chinese are seeing all the people at the World Cup games not wearing masks. And they're like, wait a second, the rest of the world doesn't wear masks at this point? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, so um, it's, it's a real test now for these leadership. And of course, they, they're having a, they're, he basically has a triple problem right now simultaneously. One is the protests themselves. B is his attempt to COVID zero, which is keep in mind the fact that the Chinese have about, I think the number is about 20% uh, per capita hospital beds that the United States and most of the OECD has. So the reality is if COVID, um, and they never bought the mRNA virus, uh, what do you call it, uh, vaccines. Yeah. So if COVID does get out of the bag and, and become serious there, they don't have the they don't have the facilities to treat people, on top of everything else. So on one hand they've been trying you know and, and zero. One of the big advantages the rest of the world has is that probably sixty to seventy percent of the world have been exposed to COVID at this point, and so either either COVID or the vaccine. So there's a general level of immunity that exists that doesn't exist at all in China. So he has dealing with COVID dealing with the demonstrations, and dealing with the economic fallout of both at this point. Right. Um, you know, the economy, you know, we've talked over the past year or two now about the real estate problems that they're having, and then it's not only the real estate, you know, they're, they're, when you close down a whole city, the factories stop producing. And when the demonstrations, the Foxconn factory that makes iPhones for Apple um, has been closed for a couple of days because of demonstrations. Yeah. So, 
I'd like to just take a moment just to appreciate the courage of these Chinese citizens who, you know, here they have this social ranking system in place. They know what everybody is doing, and yet they're uh, they're orchestrating these demonstrations at tremendous personal risk. Right, without a doubt, without a doubt. But the question, of course, is, you know, the... Z has created a very much a top uh, top-down government where he's the only person in, in in charge. Basically, there's no collective leadership these days in in China, and um, that's also a dangerous position to be in. Also, yeah, I mean, they, they, as I understand it, they're actually calling for his resignation. Right, they're definitely calling. I've heard, I heard chance. I don't speak Chinese, but I can make out enough to say that they've basically Z go Z go home. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, very much so. It's it's a remarkable transformation that went from just COVID to dealing with the underlying anger that the Chinese people... Remember, they made a deal. Uh, This is the same deal that that Putin made in some ways. It was basically, I'll make sure that your economy is good and you have a better and better standard of living. You leave the politics to me and, you know, don't get involved. And what's happened, of course, is the COVID actions that he's taken whether justified or not justified, impact everybody's lives on a daily basis. You can't, you can't have a better life if you're stuck you know, inside your apartment for 60 days straight or something crazy like that. Right. Then on top of which, the economy is not doing better, so companies, Chinese companies are going bankrupt and people are losing their jobs and all these other sort of things. So suddenly, that deal seems a lot less um, palatable to, to Chinese, which is very similar to what's happening, of course, now in Russia, too, uh, where they, we haven't seen that. We, we saw for a while some large demonstrations, but um, Putin has been even more ruthless, and a lot of people who demonstrated run out of the country so they don't get drafted. So that's another factor. Yeah. Um, so, um, but same situation though. But the Russian people are not happy at the moment um, because that deal was same deal. We, you know, the economy gets better and better. We get to travel to Paris and travel all over the world and. Will leave politics to you, you know. And I, but, I, had, I read that to just underscore the, uh, the financial uh, uh, insolvency of, of China right now. Is uh, read that there was a headline that uh, the Chinese were selling Chinese land for about a billion dollars worth of Chinese land. Right. No, there's, there's clearly a, a real, real financial problem at the moment in China, and they they don't have these huge reserves that they once had. And you know, we if you remember. I guess it's about 10 years ago, but I don't remember exactly at what point. But America was very worried that China owned all of its debt. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the, the, you know, the debt would be, they hold, own all the treasury, treasury bonds the United States was issuing. Well, that period is long past. That the amount that they own is down to 10% of what it used to be. And at this point, is not significant enough to, to present a security challenge to the American economy. Yeah, I, I read the number was 3% of current debt. So uh, that number has. Right, I'm not saying it's down to ten percent of what they had. Right, right, right. Right. So, uh, so, but that's, that's such a, a tremendous change. And you know, one of the things that it teaches us again and again and again, we go through these periods of time. First, it was the Japanese threat. Then it's the Chinese threat, and that someone is going to re- replace the United States as a dominant economic power in the world. And it may someday happen, but we need to stop being so you know. Stop being afraid of the of the Japanese, which obviously we're no longer afraid of the Japanese. They made the mistake of putting all their money into real estate that went down in value. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Chinese obviously are no really, they're not the economic threat that we once thought they were, obviously. They're not about to economically take over the world. So, um, so and demographically, they're a declining country. Yeah. So, uh, again, that, that that is a very important fact, by the way, that just the whole notion that the, they this one child... Uh, policy that they had in place now is really going to play havoc with regard to the number of people who've retired and are going to be receiving income without working. Uh, it really just uh, compounds the whole problem. Well, absolutely. And it also reflects how many people they can have in their army, and it reflects many, many things. And, um, you know, that's it's a reality, and I think we need to stop. I don't think we should stop worrying about China, but we don't have to be obsessing about China, let's put it that way. Mm, interesting. Um, well, Mark, we've got so much more to talk about. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Mm-hmm. 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, uh, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, uh, the founder of and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So for the last several weeks, we've been talking about protests in Iran. I wonder if you could give us an update. Absolutely. First of all, they're continuing. That's the biggest news of all. They seem to be strengthening to some extent. Um, it's um, they are not afraid of the police and not afraid of the of the the guard. The um, the the supreme leader basically said, "Stop these demonstrations, arrest everybody, etc." They're not afraid. They're not stopping. And um, look, you know, like I said, I think last week for the first time, I think it really is possible that that they may overthrow the regime. Possible. I don't, you know, I'm. Not sure how much money I would put on the bet, but but I would, you know, at the right odds, I would bet on it at this point. Let's put it that way. Sure. I mean, uh, how, so where does the Iranian guard stand with all this, or do you think they will turn their guns on the on the on the women of your Iran? That's where it really becomes the question, and it's not clear that they will. I mean, some will obviously, but um, the great majority might not, because they may be turning their guns on their mothers or or sisters or whoever it might be. Um, Again, um, we we talked about the Syrian example and why Syria said that you can, if you're willing to kill your own people, uh, you can win in this situation. But the Syrians were unique in the sense that the army was made up of Alawites, which were make up 10% of the population, and which were the same sect that Assad came from. That's not the case here in Iran. Um, so it's really possible. I mean, they, they, they could come a point. Um, where we could see regime change. Um, I don't want to get too optimistic about that because yeah. the positives of that are so are overwhelming. But can you imagine, think, think about this for the moment, if, if you would have told, we would have had a discussion two years ago, or one year ago even, that there's serious demonstrations and protests and calling for democracy taking place in Iran, in China, and to a lesser extent in Russia, all at the same time right now. Uh-huh. Um, that's quite a turnaround. And um, it's, what can I say, it's encouraging. 
It is encouraging. And also, I think it demonstrates a principle that I believe is that people, once they become totally fed up, where uh, they, they will, you know, they allow people to rule them until they just can't take it anymore, and then they decide they want to be free. It happened in two different ways. In, in, uh, in the United States, we had a, a, a transition based on peace. And, of course, in France, it was uh, violent and uh, chaotic. You know, when you look at it, there always is an economic component to it as well. Yeah. Right. In other words, uh, these things. You're right. People want the freedom, etc. But in all cases, I mean, look at the the American Revolution. After all, uh, the component of taxation was significant. Yes. And it was it was one of the main uh, main causes. If the, if the British would have just allowed Americans to have representatives in the British Parliament, we'd still be a British colony, possibly, or at least part of Great Britain. Um, so. You have that. You look at Iran. Iran is suffering economically, uh, both in the sanctions and just generally that they're clearly suffering. And so it makes it all the more reason for people to be upset about the system of government. China, again, the people were suffering, suffering from the COVID lockdown, suffering from an economic downturn. So I think, and of course, the peasants in France were hungry, yeah. literally. Yeah, that's right. So um, revolutions occur, and they often have high-level principles, but I think they also have to take place in a, um, in a milieu where there's an economic component that makes people willing to take the risk. I agree with that 100%. And so ultimately, though, the people say, look, my life is not worth living under these circumstances, and when enough people feel that way, this is what we end up with. Right, absolutely. Um, but so, you know, it's interesting to see. It's interesting to see where it's taking place, where it hasn't taken place. Um, and um, look, we can be optimistic. We can do whatever we can, which is limited to, to help them. Um, and I mean, clearly, the U.S. policy now has changed 180 degrees. There's no talk of entering into an, an Iran, returning to the Iran nuclear agreement at all. Yeah. All the administration's efforts now are all at trying to find ways of of supporting the uh, the protesters in any which way they can. Of course, tomorrow so, we play uh, we play Iran in the World Cup, which is kind of ironic, isn't it? So and, absolutely, they 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 requested that we be thrown out of the World Cup because <laughs> um, because we we changed their flag or something in honor of the protesters. We we took the we took one of the symbols off of the flag uh, in protest of the Uyghur situation, and uh, yeah, they. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing. But uh, when I, a little side note, too, and I, I, I can't speak uh, knowledgeably about this necessarily, but as I understand it, the, the, in Qatar, they, just, they hired ISIS to come in and build the stadiums, to help build the stadiums. Did you hear I that? I think it was Taliban, actually. I'm oh, Taliban. Sure you're, you're absolutely right. Thank you for correcting that. It is the, ta the Taliban. It's just too much irony to, to, to explain. Right. No, it is very much so. I mean, the world is a very ironic place these days. That's, that would be the understatement. Um, a lot of evil. Yeah. A lot of evil. I've had this conversation with multiple friends, and you know, wherever you look in the world, evil people have come into power in different ways. And you know, the question of why. Yeah. Um, is, is a major question. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, let's hope. Uh, let's hope that freedom triumphs over evil. You know, let's hope the demonstrators in Iran succeed, the demonstrators in China succeed, and Putin ends up in some ditch somewhere. Um, and let's all learn from, the, from it as well. Yes. You yeah. know, democracy in America is precious also. Yeah, from your and, lips to God's uh, ear. So before I let you go, though, I would like to get an update on Ukraine. Sure. So you, so right now, this seems to be a bit of a pause. Not, not the fighting has stopped, but the Russians are rebuilding their lines on the other side of the, of the river. Um, and Kherson, while the Ukrainians are also gathering their forces again. The big question is, you know, what's next? Uh, winter has set in. Um, in a sense, when full winter sets, it'll be easier to fight because right now everything's muddy. Soon everything freezes, and so it's easier to, to fight. Mm. Um, the Ukrainians still have the upper hand in terms of the battlefield, in terms of tech, in terms of everything else. The big problem that exists, and this is both the Russian and the Ukrainian problem, is nobody expected a conventional war of this kind, and nobody has the munitions, enough munitions in stock. The United States or anywhere else in the world, they just don't, we just didn't keep 
that level of munitions. No one was ever expecting a ground war, a conventional ground war again in Europe or anywhere else, to be honest with you. And so one of the things we're all learning from this war is the fact that um, we can't let our stocks run down, that, that wars eat up a tremendous amount of equipment and certainly ammunition. And I think it's going to require some major rethinking on the part of defense planners in the United States on what to invest in. And it's always a question, you know, the, the balance between next generation high-tech weaponry or good old, you know, shells for the sake of argument and other consumables. Well, I understand and, that we've uh, we've certainly drained our munitions uh, as a result of our uh, operations in, in Ukraine. So uh, we're, we're really standing on our heels as well uh, in, in terms of uh, world power. Right. Well, it's a question, look... You know, you, you look at World War II, right? In World War II, the United States converted to a wartime uh, economy in a matter of months. You know, they didn't produce any, no cars were produced in the United States. The car factories converted to making tanks and airplanes and everything else. We're not doing that at this point. Um, and that's part of the question. You know, how much can you do? How fast can you do it? Uh-huh. It's not only the United States. It's all over the world. Right. There are factories in Eastern Europe where they're talking about bringing, you know, the, that have been standing idle. They used to make shells for Russian, Russian-sized uh, equipment that they're talking about bringing back online in order to start producing. But these things all take time. And the United States also, we need to ramp up the production of all, all munitions. But it's not easy. It takes time. And um, we're not at the place we were back in World War II where we could turn out these huge numbers. I mean, you've realized that we turned out tens of thousands of aircraft uh, a year, when in the United right now we maybe turn out a hundred aircraft a year or two hundred aircraft a year, so it's yeah. a whole other scale. Indeed, Mark well, Schulman again, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Check out multi uh, media website HistoryCentral.com. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much. Have a great week, doing. Bob, and all your listeners. You as well. Thank you, Mark. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with. Uh, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with the Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing 
social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. Uh, your listeners can learn a lot more about us by visiting our website at fee.org. There they will see uh, daily fresh content in the form of commentary on uh, public issues and history and economics. But our purpose overall is to educate and inspire young people in ideas of individual liberty, free markets, private property, limited government, and personal character. And we do that not only through the website, but with uh, events featuring uh, large audiences of students all over the world. Terrific organization. FeeFee.org is the website. If you have a young person in your life in high school or college age, uh, just definitely want to introduce them to uh, this terrific organization and website, FeeFee.org. Larry, you wrote a really interesting, and I think it should be a part of every Economics 101 course, uh, it's called The Differences Between Good and Bad Economics. Maybe you could tell us about it. Okay. Uh, some people are, uh, have wondered why there is so much disagreement among economists. Uh, it seems like there's more disagreement among economists than there might be among chemists or physicists or math- mathematicians, because those sciences uh, have a lot more precision sort of baked into them as a part of their nature. But when you're talking economics, you're talking about human beings. Mm -hmm. And although there are immutable laws of human nature and and, uh, other aspects of life that that do govern us, we're also a bundle of um, emotions and ambitions and plans and tastes, preferences, values, you name it. We are so different one to another that it's very hard uh, to uh, put reliable quantities around those things, around people uh, with any predictive value. Uh, we're just so very different as a people that uh, even in economics, you have to be careful you don't uh, jump to too many conclusions. Well, and I think that's probably the most important conclusion to draw is that uh, I think the evidence of that is the pricing theory, which was <laughs> which was developed because it basically says, you know, there these are chaotic markets, things are going on, and we can't totally explain them, but the market determines, uh, has so much knowledge that we don't have and can't predict. That's right. Uh, you and I, as smart as we might be, <laughs> there we face a universe of knowledge out there that we don't know, and yeah. that'll be just as true on the day we uh, depart this world as it was on the day that we entered it. Uh, And on top of it, uh, another factor that plays into uh, the reason that economists differ among themselves is uh, it's a science that is plagued by a great many fallacies and uh, errors of thinking and and, uh, value judgments that are flawed. Absolutely. In fact, who's the uh, New York Times... uh economist he won the nobel he won the uh nobel prize as i recall i I forgot his name now but he says he just hopes the gop doesn't come up and screw up all the great work (laughs) that sounds like paul krugman that's paul krugman yeah Yeah. everything that biden's doing anyhow let's uh you you uh, outlined seven different fallacies of uh of uh, bad economics maybe you could tell us about it okay One is the fallacy of collective terms. A collective term is an abstraction. Uh, We use them all the time. Uh, Examples would be society, community, nation, uh, and so forth. We use those terms sometimes as if they are the living, breathing, thinking, and acting entities uh, in our midst, but they're really not. They're abstractions. And if you begin to say that society is doing this or the community has decided that, uh, you're on tricky ground because you're sort of homogenizing people, uh, which means you may end up um, uh, ignoring the uh, individual judgments and actions of real live human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, and so we should consider the individual as the uh, most important element in society, not uh, uh, abstractions. Uh, that is, is 
maybe the very basis of the difference between communism and uh, and uh, free market capitalism, frankly, in my opinion. Yeah. So uh, the, the fallacy of composition, what's that one? This is the idea that what is true for one individual will automatically be true for all others. And that's uh, certainly demonstrably the case with some things. I mean, I can say, you need water, I need water, everybody needs water. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, but, but this... Uh, general uh, statement of what's good for one will be true for all others does not apply in every instance. No. Uh, if somebody stands up during a football game, I mean, he'll be able to see better. But if everybody stands up too, uh, a lot of the individual spectators uh, will find that their view has worsened. No question. And here's an interesting one. The fallacy of money is wealth. Yeah, this is the idea that... Uh, more money is synonymous with more wealth. Well, if that were the case, then uh, the government should just give us all a printing press so we can print up all the money, uh, each of us, uh, that we want. But money isn't wealth. It is a means to wealth because it is a medium of exchange. Mm -hmm. Uh, But real wealth consists of goods and services, and all the money in the world will still leave you starving if you can't get uh, goods and services with it. So true, so true. I heard a statement, I've forgotten who now uh, made the statement, if, if we took all the wealth in the world and divided it up and gave equal proportion to each person, we'd all have $12,000, but we'd have no goods and services to buy with it. <laughs> That's right, and the people who produced it would stop. <laughs> so after you used up your $12,000 worth, uh, then you're, you're in the soup. Exactly. How about the fallacy of production for its own sake? Okay, this is the idea that... Um, uh, the, the whole purpose in uh, production is production itself, that uh, we should do anything and everything to facilitate production, uh, which in one sense I would say, well, yeah, it's important. You can't consume if you don't first produce. But if you go down that rabbit hole too far, you end up, you end up starting to subsidize and, and protect certain industries because you think production is the end of the game. But it really isn't. We produce in order to consume, and ultimately what we as consumers have available to us to use to consume uh, is what determines our wealth as a people, not uh, not the fact that somebody's busy at some machine somewhere, as important as that may be. Absolutely. Well, here's this is is one that uh, everybody, this is really about the fallacy of the free lunch. Yeah, <laughs> lots of people are guilty of this. They, a lot of people right now are thinking, oh my gosh, uh, Joe Biden is going to uh, reduce my student loan debt as if it just comes out of the air mm-hmm. and nobody else uh, will be burdened by this action. But of course, he's simply transferring the burden that you incurred uh, to taxpayers who did not voluntarily choose to incur it. So there, there really is no free lunch, as Milton Friedman uh, told us. Sooner or later, somebody pays, uh, which goes back to something an old friend of mine used to say. Uh, he used to tell his economics students that there's only two, there are only two things you need to know in economics. One is, what's it going to cost? And secondly, who's going to pay for it? <laughs> That's exactly right. It, uh, yeah, I had a, a friend say, you know, uh, why, why don't you get yourself a physical? I don't, I don't take physicals every year necessarily, but... Uh, she suggests I go get a physical, and she says, well, you should do it. It's free. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's not free. <laughs> somebody's, right. pay, somebody's paying for it. Again, uh, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. I encourage you to visit fee.org, F-E-E.org. Larry, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg. He's a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's now writing murder mysteries, and they are terrific. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, 
You'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He retired, and now he's writing terrific murder mysteries. His first is Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its latest, his latest is No Problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure, Bob. You know, I'm thinking about, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, cryptocurrency collapse, FTX, and the, uh, the way there are lots of news stories today about how uh, Sam Bankfried, the 30-year-old who created this uh, $30 billion empire, which turned out to be... Uh, a figment of his accounting imagination, mm-hmm. uh, snookered so many people in Washington and Wall Street. And I see parallels with a with an age-old scam that, that I covered uh, during uh, 40 years covering uh, banking, and it's called affinity fraud, huh. and it quite often affects uh, churches, especially the big megachurch ministries that preach the prosperity theology. And the way it works is uh, the Ponzi schemer will befriend the pastor of the, one of these churches. And, and, and it's usually a pastor who is not very sophisticated when it comes to finance. And so he'll open an account with his asset management firm for the pastor, you know, practically for free. And the next thing the the pastor knows, he's getting outsized returns. You know, I've I've seen these frauds where the pastor will get like a 30% return. And so the the pastor starts preaching in private, telling his friends in the parish about this miracle worker in the uh, land of finance and all the parishioners sign up with the Ponzi schemer and then, you know, eventually the whole scheme collapses and, and most of the people lose their shirts and, and, you know, the pastor is just disgraced. Well, this kid, Sam Bank Freed, he got friendly. He associated with what I call the, the church of the uh, secular religionists. Uh, these are people in Washington, uh, with an with a, an agenda that they pursue with religious fervor that tells us that we have to rid the air of carbon, that uh, we can no longer eat meat, uh, you know that we have to build uh, shelters uh, immediately for bio warfare, uh, the whole nine yards of uh, liberalism that uh, you know you know people find so offensive because these. Uh, Elites in Washington are trying to shove this 
down our throat. I right. mean, this is this is the essence of the culture wars. So this kid uh, went to Washington and started doling out money to to all these uh, favorite causes of, of uh, essentially the left wing of the Democratic Party. He also became the second largest donor for the Democrats behind George Soros. Yeah. He gave out $40 million in, in a year. Um, and back in uh, a year ago, I mean, uh, people, uh, Senator Waters, who, who headed a, the fi- Financial uh, Affairs Committee, that's the wrong name, but, but, it, but she headed the, the committee that had a hearing with him and, and, and embraced him as a hero, and they took selfies with him, and uh, he completely snookered mm-hmm. official Washington, which helped him snooker Wall Street, and uh, and I'm just so happy that the whole thing blew up and it embarrassed them because uh, I I just feel that uh, you know it will it will detract from the effectiveness of uh, what I call again these secular religionists uh, going forward uh, just the way scandals in the uh, Catholic Church and scandals in in other religions have had have raised skepticism among. Uh, the faithful. Yeah, I must say, it's just a terrific parallel that you're drawing here, because, again, you think about everything that's woke. How about the fact of dis- uh, discrediting our past and uh, the things that we've accomplished as Americans? It's just unbelievable. Uh, what this, and it, it, It's all of the secular movement to, to try and destroy everything that we hold sacred in order to rebuild and reshape our thinking and supporting these kind of uh, ag- agnostic or atheistic uh, points of view. Yeah, and, and midterm election notwithstanding, I mean, I mean, the midterm election was pretty much a draw. Um, but if you look today, uh, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal about the Walt Disney has had two successive box office flops um, in in the cartooning. You know, you know, which Walt Disney was uh, famous for. He right. built his fortune on Mickey Mouse cartoons. Um, and the first one that flopped was the Buzz Lightyear movie with the same sex kiss. And so it tells you that the public, I mean, the public is voting with its dollars. And, and that, you know, the silent majority, uh, the church going people and, and, or people who em, embrace uh, a traditional religious uh, belief are, are boycotting Disney. So, uh, and uh, I'm happy to see that. Uh, but it's, um, it's, it's again, uh, I'm going to use the word term deep state. Right. Because, you know, I, I'm not a Trump fan. However, there are so many liberals embedded in the bureaucracy of Washington that it makes it easy for this kind of uh, left-wing flim-flammer to succeed. Yeah. And, uh, and it's not going to happen because we have a divided government. But uh, and Trump disappointed in this department. We have to shrink the federal bureaucracy, uh, get rid of a lot of people. Uh, computers can probably do uh, a great deal of the work, uh, but we, you know, we can't have uh, people in government who who have a, a doctrinaire agenda who want to brainwash us and. Um, and, you know, and, and I think just after Biden got elected, they made it more difficult to uh, get people out of positions. Uh, right now, you, it takes years to uh, to decide that you want to fire somebody. You'd fire somebody and then uh, you, you go through the unions and all this nonsense. And before you know it, it's a, another uh, administration has come in and uh, the whole thing starts all over again. Point being... Yeah, quick, yeah, quickly, though, your uh, listeners should go to FTX foundation and it lists all their effective altruism programs and they're laughable and one of them is to build an ai artificial intelligence system to correct faulty reasoning can you believe that (laughs) i know i can't jim mctake again uh, i just highly recommend your novels they're terrific reads real page turners Uh, follow the leader its sequel shake the money tree and its sequel, no problem. Jim, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, it's a pleasure. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. 
We've got great guests for tomorrow, including Kathleen Pasadomo and Jim, uh, <laughs> not Jim McDig, and uh, Seton Motley will be with us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. That's how we support our advertisers. Uh, I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.